welcome to the Global Missions Inc. podcast. Today's episode features Andy Snoke. We're studying the fifth chapter of James, starting with the first verse. The, these first few verses, uh, one through six, is speaking to those that basically trust in riches or in themselves. So let's read them first. Come now, you rich, heap and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. He's starting to pronounce almost a judgment on those that trust in themselves and on their own abilities and their own riches. He says, your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your field, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived, lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Now, we don't want to misunderstand it's not a sin to have riches if God gives you riches. But he's speaking to a group of people that are trusting their riches, or we can simply trust in the things that we have. There's a couple of verses in Proverbs. Or Proverbs 11:28 says, He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. Proverbs 23, verse 4 says, Do not overwork to be rich. Let me read that again. Do not overwork to be rich. In other words, don't kill yourself trying to be rich because of your own understanding cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle towards heaven. So our confidence is in God, not in our riches or the things that we have. Next verse, verse 7 and 8, is another very potent, powerful scripture that you could talk all night just on, the, on these two verses here. Therefore be patient, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. And let's remind ourselves that the Lord is going to return. He says, be patient unto the coming of the Lord. Now keep in mind, Jesus was resurrected, ascended into heaven, seen by many people. The, the apostles were preaching the return of the Lord, and many were expecting that to happen very soon. And he's telling them to be patient. And then he says, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the er early and the latter rain, the early and the latter rain. Uh, in Israel, in Palestine, there literally was an early rain. It was like a seed rain, October, November. And then there was a, a, la a latter rain in April and May, uh, April through May, which was a finishing rain. There was a beginning and there was a finishing. There was a seed rain and there was a harvest rain, if you will. And he's making mention of that. And this is talked about in several places in the Bible about an early and a latter rain, that God would send an early and a latter rain. We know 
And we don't know how, know how all of this will work, but all through the ages, God has sent from time to time, I'll use the word, a seed rain, a beginning rain. The day of Pentecost was a seed rain, an early rain, uh, watering the earth with the Holy Spirit. Uh, in what we call the move of the Spirit in 1948, the move of the Spirit in 1906, and many other times throughout history, there's been a seed rain where the Lord watered the earth again and brought forth spiritual veget vegetation, if you will. But the Bible teaches that there's going to be a latter rain. There's going to be a harvest. Now, how that works, we don't know. The book of Joel, which which is kind of a has a hidden meaning about this tremendous revival that God is doing. And if I can put it in this words, these words, the last revival that he would do. He says this in Joel, the second chapter, verse 23. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you the former rain faithfully. The King James Version says moderately. He's given you the former rain moderately, faithfully. And he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain, in the first month. And this is what I've always got out of that. Maybe I'm wrong, but he's prophesying of a day when God will not only send out the former rain as glorious and wonderful as the former rain is, the rain of Pentecost, but he will also send out the latter rain, the finishing, finishing rain, and he'll do it in the first month. What I get out of that is he'll do it all at one time. He'll give it all to us, the former rain and the latter rain. And then he says, the threshing floors shall be full of wheat. The vat shall overflow with new wine and oil, which is always symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, and so I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, the chewing locust, my great army which is sent among you. So this verse here is very powerful. He's talking about the former rain and the latter rain. And, and James is telling us to wait for the return of the Lord, just like the farmer waits for that fruit, waiting patiently for the, the early and the latter rain. And then he says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. He reminds them still that the coming of the Lord is at hand. Another very important verse. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Remember the book of James is like the book of Proverbs where he'll intermingle in several things that may not even seem related sometimes, just bits of wisdom. We've heard so many verses over the last several weeks about not grumbling against one another. Grumbling about one another, talking about one another, appears to be something that the Lord really has a distaste for. And James is, once again, as the others have, other writers have said, is warning them to don't grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. 
It tells us to look at those that went before us. You know, sometimes we go through different trials and there's a human part of us that may feel like, that may want to say that no one has known the sorrows and the pain and the trials that we're going through. I guarantee you there's millions that have, have gone through the trials. And he's telling us to remember the prophets and those that have gone before us, like Job, that have persevered. Above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with, or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. In other words, just speak the truth. You don't have to swear. You don't have to make these big oaths. Just let your yes be yes and your no, no. Now he moves into another area. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. Suffering should be the cause for prayer. Happiness, the reason for praise. If you're suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil, which is symbolic of that anointing of the Holy Spirit, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. You know, our prayers, I, I know in the area of prayer, we still fully haven't recognized or appropriated the fullness that should be in our prayers. The other half of the scripture, he says something, and we really can't expound on it, but it just kind of points to how powerful prayer is. And then he says, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And I'm just going to leave it at that. But somehow, even attached to the prayers of the elders, it appears there's even forgiveness in those prayers. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I want to read that again. This is another verse that can be very misunderstood or misused. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, I don't believe the scriptures are is telling us as is, is practiced in some places that in order for God to forgive you, you have to go to a place where you confess your sins in detail to someone else, and then that person tells you what to do to be forgiven. And Jesus Christ forgives. But I think what he means, in my opinion anyway, there's a place where we're humble, and we can confess to one another from time to time, you know, brother, sister, I'd like you to pray for me. I'm having troubles in this area. Just pray for me. We don't have to unload our dirty laundry. We don't have to reveal in great detail. But there's a place to tell one another, a brother or a sister or elders from time to time, that I just need prayer. I just need help. I need prayer. We shouldn't be too proud uh, to not do that. Confess your trespasses to one another, another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And I like this other half of the verse, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The effectual fervent prayer 
Uh, there's a place quite often that we pray lightly, and there's a place where we have to pray from time to time fervently for certain situations. There's a place where we pray with our mouth. There's a place where we pray with our, our intellect, our spirit. And there's a place where we pray in the spirit. We pray in tongues. And then he gives an example, and I like his example. Elijah, you know, Elijah was quite a man, a miracle-working man. And here he says, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. In other words, he says, Elijah, you can read all those stories in the Old Testament that he did, the miracles that he did, but he was a man just like you and me. He was an ordinary man. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it didn't rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Now, I want to read you something about that real quickly, about that prayer that he gave. 1 Kings 18, I'll just read it to you real quickly. The first verse says, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, and he said, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So God told him, Elijah, I told you to pray so it wouldn't rain, and it's not raining. Now I'm going to send rain. I'm promising you I'm going to do it. I'm going to send rain. So go present yourself to the king. I'm going to send rain. Let me go a little further. First Kings 18, verse 41. Then Elijah said to Ahab, listen to his faith. Go up and eat and drink, for there is a sound of the abundance of rain. Elijah could hear the sound of rain in the midst of a drought. He could hear rain coming when not raindrop had touched the earth because he had faith and because God said it was going to happen. There is the sound of the abundance of rain. He could hear something that nobody else could hear. And I'm telling you, sometimes when the Spirit of God is moving, you and I can hear things in the Spirit that perhaps other people cannot hear. You can see things in the Spirit that perhaps others cannot see. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed down on, his, on the ground, and he put his face between his knees. He's not casually praying. Gets down on his knees, puts his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now and look toward the sea. He prayed. So he went up, and the servant looked. He said, There's nothing. Nothing, nothing in the sky, not a cloud, not a drop. There's nothing, no lightning, nothing. And seven times he got back down on the ground and he prayed. It doesn't say what he prayed, but he got back down in his, on the ground. He may, have, he may have reminded God of God's promises. He may have said, Lord, you told me that it was going to rain and I'm going to pray until it rains. Okay, servant, get up and go look again. The servant got up and looked, no rain. Did it seven times. I don't think, I don't know if there's a significance in the seven or not. I think he would have done it 70 times if that's what it would have took. And then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, there's a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. And sure enough, it was a man's hand. It was a hand of God. So he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. It's going to rain so heavy, 
You better get going before the rain stops you. And here we read this great faith of Elijah. And what I like about it is I admire his faith, but he prefaces that verse by saying Elijah was a man just like us. He was a man with a nature like you and me. When I read that, I get hope. And what is it that Elijah did? He persevered. He didn't quit. God said, I'm going to do something. Elijah not only took him at his word, but he kept praying until he received what God said God was going to do in the first place. And you remember in Luke 18, where Jesus gave that example of persistent prayer, and he gave the craziest example in the world. He said there's a, a widow that came to a judge that feared not God, regarded not God nor man, and said, avenge me, my adversary. And the judge said, go away. And she kept coming and bugging the judge and said, avenge me of my enemies and my adversary, and knocked on his door day and night. And the judge says, you know what? I don't fear God. I don't fear man. I don't, even, I don't know if I even believe in God. But this woman is wearing me out, and I'm going to give her what she's asking for. And Jesus used that as an example of being persistent in prayer. Sometimes I have to ask myself, have I given up on prayer? There are some things that God will answer immediately. There are some prayers that God will answer before you even pray. We've all seen that. Prayers answered before you even prayed it. And there are some prayers that come only after a lot of agony and a lot of soul searching and a lot of prayer. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And that's the end of James, the fifth chapter. If you would like more information about the moving of God's Spirit or resources for your spiritual life, please visit our website at www.globalmissionsinc.org.